Hello, my name is Martin and I'm a volunteer here at ABC, as well as being a member of the ABC leadership team. I wanted to spend a little time talking about how we make decisions. I mean the big decisions like career, education, where we live, not the little decisions about which meal to pick in a restaurant. I'm perfectly capable of doing that myself. Well, I'm not actually, as anyone who's ever eaten out with me will know, I'm that last minute panicker who picks just as the waiter or waitress gets to me. I know that even those big decisions that I was talking about, we can make on our own, but I'm a Jesus follower and I believe that God has a plan for every single one of us, every single one of us, whether or not you believe in God. Not only does, he, does God have a plan for each of us, but his plan is way better than our plan. Maybe you're like me and you consider yourself to be a Jesus follower. And maybe you're in that situation right now where you know God is asking you to do something and you're scared or worried about the outcome. Maybe God is trying to call you out of your comfort zone. Equally, maybe you don't consider yourself to be a Jesus follower at all. You still have decisions to make. Maybe it's about your job, university, moving home, moving, ha moving town. Are you looking for wisdom from outside yourself? Or maybe you're not looking for that wisdom because you didn't know it was there, but would really appreciate it. 13 years or so ago, I was in the situation where I'd been looking for a new job for quite some time. I'd been interviewed for a position as a software development consultant. The problem was, that my wife and I were quite far along with the pregnancy of our second child, Joshua. And on top of that, there were all the signs of a, re a recession approaching. For context, five or six years earlier, I'd been in the same situation. I'd actually been offered two different jobs. No children at that point, but there were also signs of a recession looming. And I bottled it. I stuck with the same job and proceeded to spend the next five or six years unhappy at work. So going back to the possible job, looming recession and imminent arrival, I thought God was telling me it was time to move to a new job. And I don't mind admitting to being more than a little bit scared. So what did I do? Hold that thought and we'll come back to it. I want to talk to you about Gideon, because for, for me, Gideon is an inspiration. The Bible tells us about Gideon in a book called Judges. Judges is a book in the Old Testament, and it tells us about a time when the people of Israel repeatedly turned their backs on God. The pattern of the book of Judges is that Israel turns its back on God, they get overrun and oppressed by a foreign tribe, and then they call out to God for help. God provides a judge or leader and equips them to help Israel, and, and freed from oppression, Israel turns back to God. I say a pattern because this isn't a one-off. Israel does it again and again. Gideon is called by God to be a leader of Israel while they're being oppressed by the Midianites. And the people are so dominated by them that when God sends an angel to Gideon, he's hiding in a wine press, wine press, threshing wheat to escape it being taken by the Midianites. I know none of us really think about or maybe even knows about threshing wheat, but you generally thresh grain in an open floor where the wind can blow away the chaff that's being removed by the, the threshing process. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. A wine press in this context is a pit in the ground. Uh, so Gideon is so keen not to be seen that he's making his own life so much more difficult. And that's because he doesn't want to have to try and defend it from the Midianites. So Judges 6 gives us a, a recording of the conversation between Gideon and God in the wine press. So Judges 6 verses 14 to 16. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replies, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and I will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. 
Well, Gideon's basically saying he's the least of the least and the least likely to be able to help Israel. He's basically saying, really, God, you're going to pick me? God is then reminding Gideon that he isn't going alone. God is going with him. So fast forward through Gideon's journey with God. He famously asks God to confirm that God is really talking to him and really calling Gideon to be a leader of the Israelites against the Midianites through a miraculous sign. Gideon lays a fleece on the, on the threshing floor. It seems he does have one, just doesn't know how to use it properly. And God makes it uh, and asks God to make it so that in the morning, the fleece is wet with dew and the ground is dry. So any of you who are not from a church background, you're maybe not a Jesus follower, if you ever hear someone talking about laying fleeces, this is the, the reference that they're talking about. And it's just a way of asking God to, to confirm what you think you're hearing from him. So the next morning, Gideon can wring a whole bowl of water out of the fleece, but the ground around it's dry. Gideon then asks for another sign, even though he recognizes God might get angry with him for asking again. This time he lays a fleece on the threshing floor and asks for the fleece to be dry and the floor around it wet with dew. Again, God delivers exactly what uh, Gideon asks for, and the fleece is dry, but the ground is wet. So I said at the start that Gideon is an inspiration to me, and then I proceeded to tell you how he hid in a wine press to avoid conflict with the very people that God is calling him to save Israel from. He sees himself as the lowest of the low, and having been given a miraculous sign confirming that God is calling him to save Israel from the Midianites, he asks for another. So you might be sitting there thinking, what is so inspiring about Gideon? And in short, it's the way he handles himself from this point onwards. Before I explain, I feel like I need to be fair to Gideon. In his shoes, I'd definitely be in that wine press, threshing the wheat to feed my family and save my own neck. I'd also want to be really, really certain that God really meant me if he called me to lead others into battle, even if it was a battle to save them. Uh, so I'm with him for asking for confirmation more than once. The story of Gideon goes on in Judges chapter 7, and this is where I find Gideon inspirational. So Gideon chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. Early in the morning, Jerobal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army... Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So Gideon, at God's instruction, has just let over two thirds of his men go. I don't know about you, but I would have been beside myself. And to be fair, I'd probably be asking God if I could lay another fleece for confirmation that God really meant it and that I was hearing correctly. But there's no sign of Gideon panicking or doubting God. Unfortunately for Gideon, God isn't finished and the army of the adjusting the army of Israel uh, isn't finished adjusting the army of Israel just yet. God continues and we see in chapters four and four through eight. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drunk from cupped hands and lapping like dogs. All of the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites to your, Midianites to your hands. Let all the others go home. 
So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. So, so now Paul Gideon is down to less than 1% of the army he started with, but he trusts God. And I encourage you to read, to go and read the rest of Judges 7, even if it's a story you think you know well. God delivers on his promise to save Israel and to be there with Gideon. God gives Gideon the victory in a way that can't be disputed, and it can't be disputed that it's God at work, not Gideon. You might be sitting there thinking, that's a nice story, good for Gideon, but that isn't my intention. I'm sure you've already linked what I said about Gideon to the story I started to tell you earlier about the possible new job. Was I hearing God correctly? Was it him telling me it was time to move? Or was I just fed up and unhappy at work? I laid a fleece, a figurative one, not a real one, rather asking God to prevent a job offer being made if this was the wrong thing for me to do from his perspective. In other words, if I wasn't hearing him correctly. The new company made me an offer and I took the job. Everyone in the company I was leaving thought I was mad. We were so close to Joshua's arrival that I had to adjust my notice period to allow for two weeks of paternity leave. So fast forward four months and the looming recession did arrive. The new company announced redundancies, redundancies that included my department. But the redundancies don't include my specific function or me. And my boss is able to tell me really quickly so that I don't even have to worry about it for long. Through that job, I discovered a career path that I didn't know even existed in my industry, a career path I'm still on and absolutely love. Now, I'm not saying that everything will work out exactly the way you want if you trust God, but I am saying that he'll stick with you and he'll be right there by your side. What is God asking you to do today? Maybe you're not a Jesus follower and he's asking you to trust him for the first time. Maybe you're facing a decision about work, education or where you live and you'd like more wisdom than you have personally. Maybe God's calling you to engage with him more or engage with him for the first time. If you're a Jesus follower, maybe he's asking you to be more open about your faith at work or school, which is scaring you. Or maybe he's been asking you to volunteer here with us at ABC. Maybe he's calling you out of your comfort zone. Whatever he's asking you, he's not asking you to go. He's asking you to walk with him and he will be right there beside you. Check out the next steps page on our website or get in touch with us directly. We'd love, we'd love to be part of the journeys that God is leading people into. And if you'd like us to pray for you so that we can, uh, and what, God, what you think God is calling you to do, can I encourage you to go to our Say One For Me page on our website. Don't forget that as well as asking for prayer there, you can also tell us how your prayers have been answered through that page. Thank you for listening and God bless. Hello, I'm Jane Biddlecombe and I'm one of the leaders here at Andover Baptist Church. Have you ever just been in the right place at the right time? Or do you ever wish that you could have been in the right place at the right time to make a difference? Many of you will be aware of the story of Oscar Schindler, probably through Steven Spielberg film Schindler's List. The film tells the true life story of Oscar Schindler, who was a German industrialist and member of the Nazi party at the time of the Second World War. He employed over a thousand Jews in his factories and protected them from deportation and death in the Nazi concentration camps. He showed amazing initiative and bravery using his connections to save lives. So many things needed to be in place for Schindler to succeed in his efforts. He was in the right place at the right time, but he needed to seize his opportunity to do the right thing. He needed to use his skills as a businessman and his connections within the Nazi party, and he needed like-minded people to help him.
Schindler's story reminds me of the story of Esther in the Old Testament part of the Bible. The story of Esther has always inspired me. Like Schindler, she lived at a point in history when the very existence of the Jews was being threatened. Esther was a beautiful young Jewish woman living in Persia, which is now in the area of modern day Iran. She was chosen by King Xerxes to be his queen in the year 479 BC. Esther's older cousin, who had effectively adopted her when her parents died, was called Mordecai. He was a government official. Haman was a noble and second in command to the king, but Mordecai refused to bow down and worship him as he believed he should only bow down to God. Haman became furious and determined to destroy Mordecai and all the Jews throughout the kingdom. Haman persuaded King Xerxes to issue an edict to all his provinces, calling for the killing of all the Jews on a single appointed day. Mordecai told Queen Esther about this edict and urged her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people, the Jews. We can read about this in chapter 4 of the book of Esther, which, as I said, is in the Old Testament part of the Bible. Esther sent back this reply to Mordecai. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has one, but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. And Esther did do as she had said, and asked King Xerxes to spare her people from destruction, and he agreed. No law signed by the king could be repealed, but he signed a new edict, giving the Jews the right to defend themselves from any attacking nation or province. Esther and Mordecai were in the right place at the right time to save thousands of lives. Was this just luck or coincidence? As a Christian, I believe that God prepared the place and the opportunity for Esther and Mordecai, and they chose to act. It's an amazing example of the interplay between God's sovereignty and him allowing us to play our part in his plan. God chooses to work through those who are willing to act for him. I read something recently that said, we should pray as if all depended on God and act as if all depended on us. Esther and Mordecai didn't wallow in despair or wait for God to fix everything. They took action. In both Esther and Mordecai's lives, God used both their character and circumstances to accomplish great things. Because of Esther's courageous act, a whole nation was saved. She saw her God-given opportunity and she seized it. 
Now, we're not likely to get the opportunity to save hundreds or thousands of lives like Schindler or Esther, but God gives us opportunities which we need to grasp. I find this really challenging and more than a little scary. It's easy for me to think that I might mess up the opportunities that God gives me. So what lessons can we learn from Esther? Firstly, I think it's really interesting to see what Esther's first reaction was when Mordecai asked her to go to the king and plead with him for her people. As you can see, her first reaction was to list the reasons why she couldn't do it. She reminded Mordecai that if she approached the king without being summoned, she would be put to death. Quite a reasonable response, I would say. But how many times are we presented with opportunities to play our part in God's plan, only to say, oh, I couldn't possibly do that? There may be many reasons we may not feel equipped to do what we are being asked to do. We may feel inadequate or we may feel like we don't have the right things to say. But Mordecai sent a message right back to Esther saying, who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So maybe the first thing we need to do is learn to get over our excuses. This brings me to the second point I think we can learn from Esther's story, which is that you don't have to do it alone. Throughout the story, Esther is encouraged to act by Mordecai. He is there to advise, support and encourage her. And as we can see from the passage, Esther is also supported by all the Jews in Susa. She asks Mordecai to ask all the Jews to fast before she goes to visit the king. And in the Old Testament, fasting is always associated with praying. Esther was asking her community to pray for her. She was part of a community of believers who supported her during difficult times. We all need friends and family to ask for advice and to encourage us when our courage is failing and we don't think we can do what we're being asked by God to do. We all need someone to say, you can do it, don't be afraid, or maybe God has put you in this position for a reason. Sometimes we need people to spot God-given opportunities for us and to encourage us to believe that just like Esther, we are in a position for such a time as this. Who does this for you? Who can you go to for advice when you feel like you have an opportunity to act? Maybe it's a trusted friend or family member, or if you're part of the ABC community, maybe it's someone at church or in your connect group. If you are part of the ABC community of believers, it's really important that we support each other, share our struggles and pray for each other. Finally, the third point we can learn from Esther's story is that in order to take part in God's plan, you need to take risks. Esther said, I will go to the king even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. She decided to risk her life by attempting to see the king when he had not requested her presence. She knew what she had to do, and she knew it could cost her her life, but she did it anyway. We may not risk our lives every day, but we do risk our security, just as Esther did, in taking the opportunities that God gives us. We may have to push ourselves out of our comfort zone, make ourselves vulnerable by sharing our hurts and fears, or risk our financial security by giving money to a worthier cause than ourselves. By speaking out for what is right, we may risk ridicule and embarrassment. Taking risks doesn't come easy to me. I'm a lawyer, so I'm used to advising my clients on the risks of certain courses of action. But my natural personality is to be cautious and stay in my comfort zone. 
However, I take comfort in the fact that God made me this way. I'm never going to be an evangelist, but I can talk to people about my faith and I can put into practice God's instruction to love others as I love myself. Maybe if you're willing to be vulnerable, then the difficult situation you may find yourself in today will be an opportunity to help someone going through the same experience in the future. I know that I have been able to help people going through their parents' divorce or anxiety issues due to my own experiences. Maybe you believe that luck, fate or coincidence has put you in the right place at the right time. Or maybe you're a Jesus follower and you believe that God has put you where you are for a reason, whether this be in your school, college, workplace, friendship group or family. I believe that God does not place us where we are in, where we are in life for our own benefit. He has placed us wherever we are to serve him in whatever way we can. He has a purpose for the situations in which he places us. It's pretty scary to think that God might have put you in a certain place for a specific task. It's a big responsibility. I'm sure we all miss many opportunities because we're too scared to take them or we're not close enough to God to realise what he may be doing in our lives. My prayer is often that I will just recognise those opportunities and have the courage to act upon them in the way in which God wants me to. And I take comfort from the fact that my actions may be just one small part of God's great jigsaw puzzle. We all need to watch for God at work within our lives and act on the opportunities he gives us. Maybe, like Esther, we are where we are in life for such a time as this. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that, we have, that you have a plan for our lives and that we have a part to play in that plan. We're sorry for the times when we make excuses and we don't act, even though we know we should. Please bless us with people around us who can provide us with wisdom and encouragement when we feel inadequate and unprepared for the challenge. I pray that we will draw close to you and recognise the opportunities we have to influence those around us and share your love with them. And please give us the courage to be like Esther and Mordecai, taking risks and acting on the opportunities you give us. Amen.